Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. Good morning, Hope Church. I'm going to fix this here. My name is Carrie, and I am one of the teachers here at Hope, and it's really, really good to see all of your faces, like your whole face. It's amazing. Um, and whether you're here for the first time or you've been coming for years and years, we're really, really glad that you're here and that you're joining us. Um, I think... For me, there's something about being able to meet together in person again that has just been almost emotional for me, just this time we've had together. So I hope that's something you're feeling too. Um, And it's part of why we want to celebrate communion together later because it's been something that we haven't been able to celebrate together in a while. But right now, we're in the middle of a series that Tom started last week called Supreme. And we're going through the book of Colossians, which is a little bit different pace for us from what we've been doing Um, so far this year. And if you'll remember, if you weren't here, Tom talked a little bit last week about kind of the history behind the book of Colossians, that it was a letter that Paul wrote to the church that lived in Colossae, and that it was really, you know, he said it was written to this church, but it has truth still for us today. And Tom, I'll be honest, he went a little bit deep. He showed us some background, some history. He made us pull out our dictionaries with such words as amalgamate and syncretism. So if you had to look that up, that's okay. You're in good company. Um, And Tom also showed us, he started off with a few slides of different kinds of supremes, right? He was talking about how God is supreme, how he is preeminent. Um, And so I thought I would just kind of go along with what Tom did last week. And today we're going to be talking about the spectacle of Christ. And I know it's loosely related, but we're going to look at a few pictures of celebrities in spectacles. And I want to see if you can figure out who these people are. So yell it out. Stevie Wonder. Yes. Tina Fey. I know that was a character, but this is for my daughter. John Lennon. Thank you. Oh, one of my favorite. Who watches New Girl? That's no, just okay. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum. I feel like it had been a little while since Jeff Goldblum was up here with me. So this is one of my favorite actors. I'm not ashamed to say it. Thanks for playing my game. Um, so yeah, glasses. Right? It's not exactly the spectacle idea that we're talking about today. Webster's Dictionary would describe or um, define a spectacle as something exhibited to view as unusual, notable, unusual, or entertaining, Uh, maybe an eye-catching or dramatic public display. It could also be an object of curiosity or contempt. And today we're going to be talking a little bit again about Christ and the mystery of Christ and how his life and, and the way that he lived and his death for us became this kind of spectacle. But I also want us to keep in mind this idea of glasses, if you want to humor me here, because I, I do think that glasses, it's, it's a lens, right? It's a lens through which we see something. And as we go through this message, I want to be thinking about how, what Tom talked about last week, when we accept the preeminence of God in our lives, his authority, his headship, it gives us a different lens through which to see the world. And so when we 
accept God's preeminence, it helps us begin to understand or have a lens to see the mystery of Christ. And so our main idea today is that maturity in Christ is a journey of understanding the mystery of Christ. And uh, if, if you grew up in the Catholic faith or in, uh, going to the Catholic church, you may have heard the term Paschal mystery. And uh, so Paschal refers to either Passover or Easter. It's relating to Christ. And in the, in the Catholic tradition, um, the Paschal mystery encompasses Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension back to heaven. And so we're going to discuss a little bit about the mystery of Christ that is comprised in those four parts of his life today. Um, and even the song that we sang earlier, uh, This I Believe, it kind of is, it goes through these creeds, these things that we believe. Um, but I want to make one thing clear really quickly as we start out. Uh, when we dive into theology, when we dive deeper, I think sometimes we have this sense of feeling overwhelmed or intimidated. Um, and then we can have this idea that, oh my goodness, if you're telling me that the mystery of Christ is something that I need to be able to understand in order to have maturity as a believer, I, you may feel like, I can never get there. How do I how do I get there? And the truth is that theology really at its most basic form, and most of you know this, is the study of God, the study of, um, of who he is. And I would like to take it a step further that really theology is not meant to complicate. It is not meant to um, distract us or to be like checking off all these little nuanced boxes. It's really meant to drive us deeper into God's heart, to know him personally and I use this verse all the time, but John 17, 3 tells us that eternal life is to know God. It's to, to know God and Jesus whom he sent. And so at its core, theology is just this backbone that allows us to, uh, to put, like, know God better and, and live out our faith in practical ways. Um, so we don't have to check off extra boxes, and that's part of what Paul is talking about to this church in Colossians. You don't have to celebrate certain festivals and certain things. Those are human add-ons. The core of what it means to believe in God and to trust in him is to, is to know him. And that is what he says in Colossians 2, 2 through 3, which is one of our key passages today. Paul says, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I love this idea that, um, that Christ himself, is he's not a piece of the mystery, he's not a clue to the puzzle, he is the mystery, he is the answer, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And there's part of this passage that talks about um, in Christ are hidden all these treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I don't think it's hidden in the sense that God is, is trying to keep it from us, but I almost think of it in the sense of um, we, we are constantly searching more and more into Christ. And every time we spend time with Christ, there's more of himself to reveal to us. So it's not that he's teasing us. He's really just, it's an invitation that we always get to know more and more of who he is. All the wisdom and knowledge is found in him. So I think it's important for us to look a little more closely at who Jesus is. And part of the mystery of Jesus' life even um, revolves around uh, his identity. And chapter 2, 9 through 10 in Colossians says, For in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. 
So this goes back a little bit to what Tom talked about last week, that Christ is the head, right? He is preeminent. He is the authority. Um, This verse also talks about um, how in Christ, Christ is both fully God, right? The fullness of deity lives in him, but he lives also in bodily form. So he's fully God and he's fully human. And that can be kind of a weird concept for us to grasp, but it's really significant um, because it means that uh, God was at the same time all-powerful, right? He never lost his authority and his power as God, but it also means that he was susceptible to, um, to temptation and he felt hunger and pain as humans do, the loss of, of friends. And um, he, he walked this life as a human with human weakness. Um, and I, I guess I think of it a little bit like, um, so go with me here. If you think of a superhero, can you think of a superhero that has to constantly switch back and forth between identities? Someone said Hulk, I heard Spider-Man, Batman, yep, so Batman, you have some people who like by day, you know, he's Bruce Wayne, and then by night he can be, or when he's on call, he's Batman, Um, but whoever said Hulk, that's actually, that's the one that stuck out to me the most, because Hulk is interesting in that he can be, he can be Hulk, right, he can be this super strong, powerful guy, but then he's not very smart, right, and he's a little bit of a brute, and you you know, kind of just does his own thing, and he's hard to control. Or he can be, uh, Bruce, is Bruce Banner? Is that the? Thank you. All right, see, I asked my son earlier, and here I am forgetting. But um, So when he's Bruce Banner, he's, he's really, really smart, right? And he can, he can do all the science side of things, but he's not very strong, he's not very brave. And so it's like the Hulk is too different almost like two different identities, and he has to switch back and forth. And the power of who Jesus is and the mystery of who Jesus is is that at the same time, the two parts of his identity are integrated. So he is all-powerful God living in, in a weak body, right? He's, he's holy God living in a world that isn't holy. Um, he is both the the creator of the world and at the same time, a part of creation. And I think that's just astounding for us to wrap our brains around, Um, but but it's part of why Jesus could be for us the ultimate sacrifice, because he was able to live and suffer and and live a perfect life as a human and then to die for us um, because he was perfect, because he had no sin in him. And he really... um, was the fulfillment of all the Old Testament where they had to continually offer sacrifices over and over and over again, but nothing was perfect enough. Nothing could actually erase our brokenness until Jesus, until Jesus who came and was the perfect sacrifice. And so in Jesus, in that life, we see that his life itself was this spectacle. It was a miracle. It was, it was profound and unprecedented. And also we see that his death was a spectacle, a grand event where for one time, at one time for all people, he was able to make atonement for sins. And Colossians 2, 13 through 15 says this, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, 
triumphing over them by the cross. I almost imagine in this, in this passage, you know, he talks about taking all of our legal indebtedness, all these things that we ever owed, ever did wrong, and just nailed them to the cross. And I guess the best thing I could, I could think of is like, if someone looked at you right now and said, what do you owe? What do you owe on your mortgage? What do you owe on your car? What do you, you know, do you have like credit card bills? And then you just stack them up and that person says, okay, it's not my, it's not my bill, it's not my charge, my indebtedness, but I'm gonna take that and I'm going to cover that entirely for you. And I think that gives us just a tiny, tiny piece of an understanding of what it meant that Jesus said, I'm going to take everything, everything you've ever done that I didn't, I don't owe it, but I'm going to take it and nail it to the cross and make a spectacle of the authorities and powers. And I want to pause here because this is partly why the lens of the cross, the lens that we look through life with um, is so important because... If you look at the lens of the cross through the enemy's perspective, he meant it as a spectacle in a bad way. He meant for Jesus' death on the cross to be scornful, to be a moment of shame, um, to be almost like a public undoing, a public discounting of everything that Jesus said he was, right? This is why people, when, when they were at the foot of the cross, they looked up at Jesus and they said, if you could save other people, if you could heal other people, why don't you just come down from there? Just... Just come off the cross. And I think the enemy looked at that moment as, I won. Right now, now Jesus is shamed and there's, there's nothing anyone can do. There's no reason to believe in him. And yet God takes what the enemy meant as a public spectacle of shame and he actually turns it into this public spectacle of triumph over death, triumph over the, the powers and authorities and the rulers, our enemies, he takes this extremely, hum, extremely humiliating public spectacle and makes it a setup for actually a, a triumph. A blogger that I read this week, Julie Cameron, on her blog, jcblog.net, said, it's not that he just defeated them, the, the powers and rulers. He did not just defeat them, but he paraded that defeat through the heavenly realms. And, and he turns this moment of death into a powerful victory. And I love that. So this mystery of Jesus comprises his life and it comprises his, his death for us on the cross. And then his resurrection. And we, we sang about that today, this power of God's resurrection. And because of his resurrection, because he did not stay dead, uh, we know that death is defeated. We know that nothing that's broken holds us down. And that is how we know that these chains and, these, and the, even the broken lives that, that we have right now, that God is making everything new, that he has that power and that ability and then God also ascended after he rose. He, he lived on earth and he talked to, to many people and disciples and then he went back to heaven. But when he did, he said, I want you to go out. I want you to tell other people about me. Make disciples and I'm gonna leave you with my Holy Spirit. And so he leaves us with his, his spirit, his advocate for us. And so even though the mystery of God I think is hard for us to always wrap our minds around. It, it is going to be an ongoing process for us to know and understand who he is and what he did for us, but it's a worth seeking more and more into God's heart. And it's also, it requires a response from us because when we begin to understand the mystery of God, the mystery of Jesus, we react to that by stepping into the mystery. We react to the mystery by stepping into it. In fact, we are invited to participate in the mystery of Christ. 
Colossians 2, 6 and 7 says, So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. And again, so when we, when we acknowledge Christ, we, we, are, we begin to live in him, rooted and established in him. And, and this is a powerful reminder that, that even the, the lives that we live are through Christ and in Christ. Um, nothing that we do is outside of his, his work in us and his help. Um, and I want to talk today just briefly about two, two ways that we can participate in this mystery of Christ and be, remain rooted and established in God. And so one of those ways is baptism. And baptism is something that we do here at Hope Church, and maybe you've, maybe you've seen that, maybe you've wondered more about what that is and why we do that. And really, um, baptism is a public way. It's almost like our own, our own version of like a public spectacle of ourselves. But it's, it's us saying, I've decided to follow God. I have decided to follow him and I have chosen to make him Lord or head of my life and, and I want to declare that to the world. And so part of baptism is this, um, this declaration. And it's also very symbolic. You know, um, we are meant, Christ says, take up your cross and follow me. And we're meant to uh, kind of echo and follow or mirror what Jesus did and how he lived his life. And so part of what baptism is also is a symbol of us dying to ourselves and being made alive or raised with Christ and the power of who he is. Um, And so again, it's not that we are baptizing ourselves to be saved or to have salvation, but it is a reminder that we are dying to our will and our flesh. Um, And it also, again, it reminds us that we are meant to participate in God's suffering, to take up our cross and follow him. Um, The Bible also talks about being baptized in God's spirit, which is another mystery to us, but it's the sense that, that God then fills us with who he is when we choose to follow him, and his spirit allows us to be ambassadors for him, to, to go into the world and to live the life that he has designed for us. And if you want to read more about um, people who were baptized, you can look in the book of Acts, actually, especially in, in chapter 8. Uh, it shares a lot of stories of people who just chose to follow God, and then you see how they're baptized. And uh, it's kind of a cool, cool thing to check out if you have time. Um, so baptism is one way that we participate in the mystery of Christ. And another way that we do that is through communion. And uh, communion is another thing that I think we sometimes gloss over. It can kind of become this ritual or this routine, um, but it really is more than that. It is not just another thing to check off our box. Um, so the history of communion actually begins with celebrating the Passover. So for those of you who, who may remember, um, the Israelites at one point were enslaved in Egypt, and they cried out to God, and he he delivered them from that slavery. And when he did that, part of how he did that was to, he, he showed all these signs and wonders and there were these plagues that he sent. And the final plague was that he was gonna take the firstborn son. Unless, he told the, he told the Jewish people, if you take a, a lamb and sacrifice it and put the blood over the doorposts, then the angel will pass over your house and you and your family will be spared. And so when when. Jewish people still today, many people still celebrate the Passover, and they, they still have this, this lamb, this lamb bone or a lamb that symbolizes the, the lamb and the blood that was over the doorpost. 
And they also eat um, bread with no yeast because they had to eat in such a hurry because they were leaving. And so they eat the bread with no yeast in it. And so that was where the, the origin of the Passover began. And it was a celebration to remind the Jewish people of what God had done and how he led them out of, out of Egypt, out of slavery, into their freedom. Um, and so then when Jesus celebrates the Passover with his disciples, he, he ushers in a new meeting. And he says, he says, okay, now I'm the lamb. I'm the lamb that was sacrificed. And so as you continue to celebrate this Passover now, now I want you to do this in remembrance of me and remembrance of who I am. It's something almost like, I was talking to my mom this week and her, her mom passed away a few years ago and she said this time of year she always thinks of her. And we were talking about, we are like, what can you do? What can you do to kind of celebrate her life and to remember her and maybe make that a yearly thing that you do, whether it's going out to eat where she liked to eat or um, hiding, hiding money in your freezer like she used to do. You know, that was, that's grandma for you. Um, but what can we do to commemorate, to do something in remembrance of a person. And so Jesus says, now when you take communion, it's, it's doing it in remembrance of me, your sacrifice. And I think it also is another way for us to remember our place in the story. Again, I, uh, Irena talked over Good Friday this year about um, really seeing ourselves as, as, as the ones who nailed Jesus to the cross, as the ones who participated in his death because he did die for us. And so I think taking communion also gives us a moment to reflect and say, God did this for me. And to remember that sacrifice, um, not, not just to sit in that heaviness and guilt, but to let it remind us that we were bought with a price and we are meant to live our lives in him and for him. I also think, once again, if we look um, at the way that Christ subverts so many things, again, he takes death, he takes this moment of death that should have been defeat, and he turns it into a powerful spectacle of life. And I also love the image that Christ says his body was broken for us. And the interesting imagery here is um, God, Christ is the head and we are his body. And I think it's interesting that his body was broken in order that our, our body, the body of believers, might be united might live in unity, might live in, in, with love for one another. And in, in the next chapter, if you go into Colossians chapter 3, it really talks a little bit about that. Living in unity with one another and, and um, with, with kindness, putting aside malice. Um, and so I just think that's another thing for us to chew on, especially right now in the climate that we're in. Um, considering how God's body was broken for us, not so that we would be divided, but so that we would be united. And it's a powerful imagery so as we, as we wrap up here, um, again, our, our takeaways this week are that we can participate in the mystery of Christ through baptism. And I would challenge you, if that's something that you've always thought about doing and just don't, didn't know where to start, um, maybe this week is the week for you where you think, all right, I'm going to find out more. I'm going to reach out to, to Pastor Tom or someone here at Hope and find out how I could, how I could do that. Um, because I know that we're going to try to have several baptism opportunities over the summer, and it's just a really fun celebration. So I hope you will look into that more if you haven't. Um, even ask someone, someone you know that's already been baptized what that meant for them, what the significance was. Another takeaway for us is that we can participate in the mystery of God through communion and through taking communion together. And so we're going to do that today as a church. And I know Michelle let us know that ahead of time. Um, 
love skirts with pockets. It's very handy. If you did not get a, a cup, you can grab one of those from the back or uh, we can try to have someone bring that to you. Uh, so if you do not have that yet, I would encourage you to get that. So I just want us to sit for a moment. And I guess as I was thinking of communion today, I was thinking of um, just this idea that Christ so wants to be with us, that all of this theology, that all of, of everything we've talked about is really at its core about God inviting us, inviting us to be with him. And so I just want to picture, as we, as we start now, I just want you to picture that, that Jesus is personally inviting you here, that he is personally um, telling you he wants you to be here with him and I would even maybe even for you maybe it helps to picture yourself sitting with his disciples at the table taking that last supper with him and so I'm just going to start reading this passage in Luke 22 from the message version and I just want you to sit and listen and to what God may be speaking into your heart maybe it's about the mystery of who he is or about um, just something specific he wants to say to you Jesus says this. When it was time, he sat down, all the apostles with him, and said, You've no idea how much I have looked forward to eating this Passover meal with you before I enter my time of suffering. And he says that to you. You have no idea how much I've been looking forward to this. Jesus says, It's the last one I'll eat until we all eat together in the kingdom of God. Taking the cup, he blessed it and said, Take this and pass it among you. As for me, I'll not drink wine again until the kingdom of God arrives. So we're going to open up the cup here. All the crackling. I just want to picture, I want you just to picture for a moment Jesus and this, this sacrifice that he made for you and this, this blood that he spilled for you. And then when you're ready, you can, you can take that juice, take the, the wine and remember Jesus. Taking bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Eat it in my memory. So we're gonna open up this the bread, the wafer at the top here. And again, just remember the, the significance of Christ's broken body for us and the mystery of that. But I would also just encourage you um, to pray. Over, the, over love and unity. And wherever you sense that God may be saying, hey, you need to be united with someone. You need, to, you need to forgive someone as I forgave you. Let this be a reminder to walk in that, to embrace his sacrifice by living out that sacrificial love. So as you are ready, you can take that bread and remember Jesus' way.
God, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for the mystery of who you are, that we are, no matter how far we go, we will never reach the depth of the insight and the knowledge of who you are. I thank you that you are a God of mystery and miracles, a God who loves deeply. And Jesus, I just want to thank you again for your vast and incredible love for us for um, your, your willingness to come and be with us, to live with us, and to give up your life for us. And God, I pray that you would just settle with us today, even today, that as we remember you, God, and what you did for us, that it would lead us out into the world to go and do likewise, God. And I thank you for your spirit that fills us to live the life that you want for us. I just pray um, your blessing and your favor over everyone in this room. And just thank you again for your sacrifice, Jesus.